Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up, you'll be hearing from noted Christian apologist Josh McDowell delving into some COVID-19 material related to trends of concern that had developed prior to the crisis and that have become even more prevalent, including pornography. Relevant comments from that conversation are ahead. Plus, Oxford professor and Christian thinker John Lennox offers a look from a theological point of view at the presence of the Lord in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And Kara Snyder has experienced anxiety in her life and understands how believers in Christ can struggle with it. She also offers some practical and powerful principles that can be applied in overcoming the weight of it. Learn more ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, Magdalena Battles of Living Joy Daily brings insight for parents as they lead their children through the challenging days related to COVID-19. Finally, there's a tremendous amount of ministry that is being done by local churches around our nation. Pure Heart Church in Glendale, Arizona has been faithful to bring hope and security to people, even those who are in need of counseling. And to help sustain these vital outreaches, a ministry called CDF Capital has stood with them along the way. Learn more from Dan Steffen of Pure Heart and Nathan Elson from CDF. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. I had the chance recently to chat with legendary Christian author, speaker, and apologist Josh McDowell, who discussed some of the consequences of and trends related to the COVID-19 crisis, including the prevalence of pornography. It was a problem going into the pandemic and is being compounded by it. From that recent conversation, this is Josh McDowell now. Three, four months ago, way before the virus is even thought of, the top three epidemics in the world, in every culture of the world, was pornography, loneliness, and depression. I can't, it's hard to imagine that, but loneliness uh, is one of the top two in almost every single culture in the world. And uh, then depression. And the, the calling to uh, help numbers, counseling numbers, has gone up like 500%, some of the research is showing. And what is happening, when these things were there before the virus, when the virus came along and the lockdown, well, that lockdown then exasperated these. For mm. example, with porn, with loneliness, and with depression and anxiety, there's several things that always enhance it. Isolation, fear, stress, unknown, etc. And so the virus feeds right into this. Most parents do not monitor their children's use of the uh, technology. And uh, I mean, can you imagine parents that let an iPad or a cell phone into a kid's bedroom? That's hard to believe. You're just asking for problems. And one thing parents are supposed to do is protect the children, guide the children. And uh, so the issue is not if your child sees it, the issue is when your child sees it. And by that time, and I say this is about five years old, you better have a child understanding a good, healthy, positive, biblical concept of sexuality by about five, six years old. Why? I believe in pastors' homes, and this is just from uh, my experience of talking with pastors. It's about four to six years old. Their children start watching porn. In the regular home, it's about eight years old. 
But by the time your child, the first time they click on a porn, and they will, if they do not have a solid biblical concept and a positive, excited one of biblical sexuality, then your child will not be able to discern the difference between a counterfeit and the original. Mm. And this is why a lot of Christian kids today thinks porn is God's means of sex. Why? Nobody talks to them about it. 75 to 80% of all Christian parents have never, this is a crime, never ever talked to their child about porn. Uh, and they'll say, well, I don't want to, you know, I want to wait. I don't want to give them too much too early. I'll say, lady, that's not the problem. That's never been the problem. The problem is too little, too late. That's the problem of parents with their children. And, uh, I would say the majority of kids that end up watching porn and become as adult, you could lay it on the doorstep of their parents because they never talked to them, never equipped them. And this is where you can go to josh.org forward slash porn. I can equip you. Uh, I spent months doing this research and a lot of money, and it's all free. It's all free at josh.org forward slash the porn epidemic. How do you see the role of the church, and how can the church and its leaders really rise up and address this issue head on? The first step, Bob, is education. One, go to josh.org forward slash the porn epidemic is everything a church needs to know. Second, there's some great books out there. Uh, Pure Desire by Dr. Ted Roberts is one of the best. It gives you the real cause of porn and why it so easily becomes uh, epidemic. And if I were a pastor, I would, along with my leaders of the church, men and women, I would do a, <laughs> have our own class on porn education. I would even bring in, like if somebody lived around Dana Point where I live, uh, you know, going out with about 30, 40 miles, I invite somebody in like me and some churches have done that. Invite me in to speak to their leadership and get the leadership on board. And then you need to be careful. You can't get up on a Sunday morning and lay it out about porn. You got young people there, etc. cetera, uh, children there. You've got to be very wise. And the best way is that you have like Sunday night, Wednesday night meetings where you ask them not to bring their children. But you've got to address it. You've got to address it or the church will be marginalized. Many churches already are marginalized. And so starts with education and, um, it goes from there with any pastor, any church. Josh McDowell here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, josh, J-O-S-H dot O-R-G. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's John Lennox, Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at the University of Oxford and Emeritus Fellow in Mathematics and the Philosophy of Science at Green Templeton College. In our conversation, he discussed material related to his book, Where is God in a Coronavirus World? Here now is John Lennox. Well, I think one of the most important things here from a Christian perspective is that we really think seriously about the magnificent gift that we have in the gospel, that God loves us. That's the first thing. And he loves us, but that does not guarantee that we don't have to die for some reason or other. And 
when people say to me, where is God in the coronavirus world? I'm tempted to say, where was he in your world before the coronavirus hit? Mm. Because if he was in your world, and if you, like me, uh, have had a relationship that's been ongoing for years with God through Christ, then we take that with us into the coronavirus world. And that gives us a tremendous sense of God's comfort. One of the things that impinges itself on my mind is that beautiful statement that Jesus made when he said, I am the good shepherd. He and I am the light of uh, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And if there's anything we need at the moment, it's light on life. And to know that even though some of us, and I'm aware that some of you who are listening to me at the moment may even be entering the valley of the shadow of death, we can think of that beautiful Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in that deepest sense of all, the unique thing about Christianity, and it's utterly unique actually, is that COVID-19 cannot destroy a relationship that we have uh, through faith in Jesus, the relationship with God. So those are comforting things. And the difficulty is the scariness comes from the scale of it all and the rapidity of its transmission. Your director of the National Institute of Health, Dr. Francis Collins, made an interesting point. He said, the, the scary thing here is that we don't even know whether we're carrying this and we can transmit it. And it's that invisibility and lack of information. You don't have to be desperately ill to transmit it. That is scary. So we need to find places where we can sense that God is trustworthy in these situations, realizing that all of us are in temporary residence on this planet. And Christianity has something to say about the death question. And I think it becomes more problematic for those people who may have not even thought about God or who may be, as so many are in Europe, we don't have even God written into the Constitution as you do. And the tragedy is that many, many people have just not had any God dimension in their lives and suddenly they're faced with their own vulnerability, they realize that they're not in control and that they're mortal. And that rapidly raises the God question. And so we're here, and I wanted to try to say something into that situation that would perhaps make such people think again before they reject the Christian faith, which they may not really have considered as adults. John Lennox here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to John Lennox, L-E-N-N-O-X dot O-R-G. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's author, blogger, and speaker Karis Snyder. She discussed her book with me recently called Anxiety Elephants, a 31-day devotional to help stomp out your anxiety relating principles that she has learned out of her own personal experience. 
Here now from that conversation is Karis Snyder. For me, when I was experiencing anxiety attacks, and honestly, I didn't realize that's what it was that I was dealing with at the time, and maybe many of your listeners out there are, are the same way, but it would feel like there was this pressure on my chest where I couldn't breathe, my heart would be racing, my, my breathing would be elevated, and it honestly felt like elephants sitting on my chest. And the harder that I tried to get rid of them or to push back and fight against them, the harder it was to get get through that. So that's where the elephant image comes from. If you're from Alabama and you wonder, is this girl Auburn or Alabama fan? <laughs> yes, I will say I am an Alabama fan. Let me give a big roll tide out there. But this honestly just had to do with trying to give a good image for people to understand what an anxiety attack and what a life filled with anxiety feels like. Well, and please allow me to to ask maybe to to go a little bit more in depth as far as what you experienced that would cause this type of anxiety. What brought it about for you? Right. That is a great question. I will be honest with you and tell you, um, for me in my life, when that anxiety began to take over, everything looked and appeared great on the outside. I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband had a successful business going. I even had a successful business. We were leading worship at our church. So everything looked great on the outside. But on the inside, the pressure of making everything seem perfect and that mask that I was wearing was beginning to become thick. And I was struggling on the inside. I was struggling with just trying to make everything look great because I didn't think as a believer and a follower of Jesus that it was okay for me to struggle, that it was okay for me to, to have these burdens. And so I was trying to do everything on my own. I was trying to uh, just make everything look great, but I, I was struggling. I had just come through all the tornadoes that happened here in Alabama mm -hmm. in 2011. I was not eating well. I was not sleeping well. And so it was just a perfect storm of events. And I was beginning to just really belittle myself because I, I felt like if anybody knew about the struggles that I was dealing with, they would reject me or they would think I was crazy or, or they would think, how can this girl be, be leading us in worship in church? So from that pressure of hiding everything going on in my life and not dealing with it, that anxiety, those anxiety elephants begin to creep in. Well, and that's great imagery just in the title, Anxiety Elephants, and what you were describing. And you know, while we're kind of on an imagery track here, there's also mm. this image, there's a whole lot of talk about masks these days. And you actually yeah. were just talking about the masks that you were wearing, that you were experiencing and feeling like that you really had to make things look great from a, a spiritual standpoint, that everything was going well. Why is it that people tend to do that? Why is it that that Christians perhaps can fall into this trap of not allowing people to see what's really going on in their lives? Right. I We are just under this stigma and this lie, the enemy has fed us this lie that we have believed for so long that if if we allow our imperfections to be seen, we're going to be rejected. Or if we allow um, this world to see that we, we don't have it all together, you know, we put this pressure on ourselves that we have to, to make them see things uh, in, in this perfect way. And we forget that God's word tells us that in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to be weak. You know, that Jesus came for the sick and the hurting. 
And we, we allow the enemy to misconstrue God's word and to hide us in shame. We can take it all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? They hid in shame. They hid in fear of what will God think of me. And just as God pursued them, came to them, God is pursuing us and saying, hey, I sent my one and only son because I knew you would not be able to make it on your own. Let me help you. Let me heal you. Let me restore you. And it honestly took me hitting rock bottom to begin to understand that God was not mad at me. He did not put this expectation of perfection on me. I was doing it to myself. And once I allowed him in to love me the way he intended to, he was able to then begin to heal and restore me on a path that I desperately needed him to heal me on. Karis Snyder here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website Karis, C-A-R-I-S, Snyder, S-N-I-D-E-R, dot com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by visiting meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center or subscribe through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community that is updated weekly. Also, you have The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section of faithradio.org. Parenting and child development expert Magdalena Battles provides some words of encouragement now for parents as they walk with their children during the COVID-19 crisis. She is the author of the book, Six Hidden Behaviors That Destroy Families, Strategies for Healthier and More Loving Relationships. Here now from a recent conversation is Magdalena Battles. I felt like God has given me a passion in my heart for children and helping children. And so I've worked in a variety of different roles with children, including ski instructor, all the way to sexual assault counselor for children and a domestic violence counselor for children. So I've worked with uh, children in a variety of capacities. Uh, and most importantly, I'm, I'm a mother. Uh, God has blessed me with four children, and um, they have been a great uh, experience and, and helped me learn even more about uh, child development. With all of these changes taking place, more time at home, not being able to participate in certain activities, not being able, in many cases, to go to church for quite some time, what effect does that have on children as you see it? Uh, Well, it affects different children in different ways, but we do need to be able to recognize the signs of stress. Um, If our children are having an adverse reaction to this situation, uh, because every child is different. Some will go with the flow and they're fine not going to school. My daughter personally says she wants to continue homeschooling forever, (laughs) which was a shock to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I have no plans to homeschool any longer than I have to. Um, but then my boys, on the other hand, I have twin uh, six-year-old boys. They're a little bit more of a challenge. I have to sit down and do every single assignment with them, and they do much better in a structured environment going to school. Um, nevertheless, I've seen signs of stress in my own children. And so because they know something's going on, obviously, they know what coronavirus is. They know that we're staying home to stay safe and to keep our family well. Uh, but they've acted out in different ways. For example, um, coming down in the middle of the night and wanting to sleep in our bed all the time. This is now a, a very normal thing in our household. Before, it was they would only come down when they're sick or not feeling well or if they had a nightmare. Now it's, it's almost every night we have kids coming into our room and wanting to sleep in our room because they're anxious. They're, you know, things are different right now, and they recognize that. And so they act out in different ways, and that's true of all children. You're going to find that there are different children react differently and show different signs of stress than maybe um, adults will. So some of the signs of stress that we have to be on the lookout for so that we can help our children process their feelings, um, rebellion, um, such as refusing to do their schoolwork. There are mm. some kids, I've, I've seen it, heard other parents talk about just the complete refusal of children to participate in their schoolwork as school activities. And some of that is because they feel like everything is um, outside of their control. And the situation is scary. It's outside of their control. So something that they can control is their ability not to do their homework, to say, I'm putting my foot down. This is my rebellion. This is something I can have control over is not doing this. And so there are children that are acting out in that way. Um, some other signs include crying, um, uh, feelings of sadness, uh, especially if they're it's an ongoing thing where it's not just a bout of sadness, because that's normal for kids to have sadness here or there. But if it is an ongoing sadness, that's something you need to really pay attention to and seek professional help if it's ongoing. Lack of concentration. They can have anxiousness, um, signs of stress, um, signs of withdrawal. If they stop having interest in their normal activities, for example, if you have a child that normally loves to go outside and play, and now they want to mope in, around the house and they aren't doing their normal activities, that's also a sign that they're not doing well and that the stress is getting to them. Um, some other uh, signs are hostility, the sleep patterns, if they're sleeping too much or not sleeping enough, insomnia or sleeping too much, they, those are also signs of um, severe stress. Um, you want to pay attention if they have a lack of interest in food, um, fatigue, anger, or just I guess, emotionally needy. And most kids will have some sort of level of being emotionally needy during this time because that is one way that they react. They look to their parents for love and support, and they look to their parents to be the ones to say, it's okay, we're going to get through this. So we need to be able to convey that message to them and say, hey, I'm here to support you, and, and I'm, I'm here to help us get through this together. So we need to address their emotional needs and especially – the neediest, the neediness that they have right now because of this situation. Magdalena Battles here on the intersection. Her website address is livingjoydaily.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, Dan Steffen, lead pastor of Pure Heart Church based in Glendale, Arizona, and Nathan Elson, executive director of marketing and business development for CDF Capital, discussed with me the church's ministry outreach during the COVID-19 pandemic and partnership with CDF before and during the crisis. 
Here now from that recent conversation are Dan Steffen and Nathan Elson. We're a ministry. We're not a bank. We're not a credit union. We don't have to post returns. We don't have to post earnings. We do fund what we're doing through investments of individuals, and we pay them back. We've never been late on an interest payment to any to any individual in our history. But what we focus on is what's happening in those churches. So through all of this, and when when this happened, and when COVID-19 first hit the scene, and when we're looking at an imminent shutdown in the United States, we decided what can we do for those churches that have loans for us? What can we proactively do? So we launched what we call the CAP-19 program. And that stands for Church Assistance Program. And what it is, is a proactive step that we took to give churches that have loans with us in good standing six months worth of relief in their payments. And that took took the form of up to a third percent, one third reduction in the total value of that payment. Uh, and we planned on an, an estimate that we could probably get close to $6 million of assistance we're giving. To date, we've given away $4.1 million. Now, this is not a, uh, a, uh, permanent reduction. It is a deferment, but it does help in the sense that it gives churches like Pure Heart relief in the short term so they can focus on doing what we, we want them to do. And that's caring for the communities, not worrying about a mortgage payment that may become due. But beyond the money, we also have, have launched many different initiatives to help empower and to teach and educate uh, church leaders across the United States and have brought experts in from all over the place uh, to provide content and to provide teaching for them. And we're doing a lot of that stuff as well. Well, you're listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio as we talk about God at work and a very essential element, and that is the financial resources to continue to do ministry and to see that ministry thrive in a time of great need during the coronavirus crisis. We've just heard from Nathan Elson, who is with CDF Capital. We also have heard from Dan Steffen, lead pastor of Pure Heart Church, which is located in Glendale, Arizona. So we've we've talked about some of the ministry challenges, Dan, that you've faced. Nathan, how CDF has been able to really step up and partner with churches. So, Dan, let's talk about the fruit. How are you seeing God work in the midst of this crisis through your church body? Yeah, the opportunities to do good and to help people are, are you know, exponentially. We, I never, like I said earlier, I never knew how busy we were going to be. Um, our entire staff is making phone calls and connecting with our people, making thousands of phone calls uh, just to our church family. Uh, we are able to continue to provide counseling. Um, counseling is rather expensive. We, we, we have a motto in our church, okay to not be okay, but it is not okay to pretend and you don't have to stay stuck. And because we've created this environment where people feel safe to talk about their pain, to talk about the brokenness of their life, um, that means that, you know, uh, we have more, more folks in our church family and in the surrounding community that show up who are really dealing with serious trauma and serious issues. So during this COVID-19, many of them are being triggered back to old patterns, old habits. So we've been able to continue to pay for counseling for people. A lot of people can't afford professional counseling. And I said early on, I said, because of the heart of our church, we're gonna need to have professional Christian counselors on our team. Um, and so many of them have reduced their rates. You know, the average counseling is upward of $150 per session. Um, they, are, they bring that down to about $70 per session for our church family and community. 
Um, but we end up paying for many of those. Matter of fact, we sometimes will pay for six, seven sessions for people. And we're able to continue to do that now because of the help from CDF. We're able to continue to move forward and provide that out of our own budget. Whereas if we didn't have the help in the break with our with our mortgage, I don't know if we how we'd be able to do that right now. And those types of counseling situations are on the rise. They're not on the decline right no. now. That's for sure. We're what working if- on putting together, um, starting this week, groups where people can come in in groups of nine with a counselor and do group counseling. They'll wear masks, social distancing. We'll do temperature checks when they come in. Um, but we just need to get back to having not just Zoom calls, which we've been doing a lot of Zoom calls for our trauma groups uh, and our, and our um, healing groups and our support groups. But now we need to get face to face. And so we're, we have councils that will be running all of those groups around our campus all week long. Dan Steffen of Pure Heart Church in Arizona and Nathan Elson of CDF Capital here on the Intersection Podcast. The Pure Heart Church website is pureheart.org. The CDF Capital site is cdfcapital.org. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection. You can find the podcast in that media center, or you can subscribe to it via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, featuring three stories of relevance to the Christian community that is updated weekly. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention held earlier this year in Nashville. Also, you can see the Zoom conversation with Dan Steffen and Nathan Elson from what you just heard the excerpt. That is through meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you can find out about various podcast platforms through which you can access conversations from the Meeting House program. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Plus, conversations from The Meeting House can be found through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Again, The Meeting House homepage is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.